With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast. It's always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly, welcome you back to the show on a day where we are now 66 days away from the very first Grand Prix of the year at the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne on March 15th. And I know I'm sort of beating this drum over and over again, but I'm really missing Formula One and I'm literally counting the days as I'm sure many of you are as well. But before then, uh, we have winter testing to, to look forward to. And that's always interesting to see how the the teams do and how they shake the cars down. And as of today, January 9th, we only have two confirmed dates for car launches next month. And the the first one is uh, Ferrari. They're going to launch their contender on February 11th via live stream. So Ferrari fans, look out for that. I'm sure a link will be announced soon enough. And the only other team at this point is the team formerly known as Toro Rosso, and that's Alpha Tauri, which is the uh, the name of Red Bull's new clothing brand. And they are going to release their new car on February 14th on uh, Valentine's Day. So just over a month away until the car launches, so something to look forward to in the meantime. Anyways, it has been a bit of a difficult week uh, for me here. I had a couple of weeks off over Christmas and New Year's at the latter half of December and really enjoyed the time off. Didn't really do a lot of uh, anything. Well, I did. I had a bit of a staycation here at home, had a lot of fun just uh, relaxing and taking in uh, everything that uh, Vancouver has to, to offer. But uh, it was nice just to really kick uh, back and relax the past or the last couple of days of the uh, of the Christmas New Year's holiday. And it was back to work on Monday and it was difficult. <laughs> the first couple of days were really, really tough to get back into. So I think I finally hit my stride. So I thought I'm going to sit down a night early, day early, and uh, get the show out uh, this week, uh, midweek rather than uh, than the usual day when I sit down and record on Thursdays. So we'll see how this goes. I can't imagine that I'll have so much energy in a couple of weeks once uh, the daily grind uh, really kicks in. But uh, it's a good start to the year nonetheless. So big news this week, or the big news last week, was uh, that, uh, of course, uh, Charles Leclerc had uh, signed a new deal that will keep him at uh, Ferrari until uh, 2024. And barely a week later, Red Bull does the same thing. And uh, they announced on uh, Tuesday, January 7th, that uh, they had extended extended Max Verstappen uh, on a contract until 2023, coincidentally the same day as Lewis Hamilton's 35th uh, birthday. So 
I think it's very, very interesting that Red Bull has uh, really gone out and been very proactive to get uh, Max Verstappen signed to a, a long-term deal with, with the team. And uh, there have been some rumors uh, that uh, perhaps uh, Max might be on his way uh, to Mercedes or that was uh, an option. And that's something that I've thought about uh, over the years. I mean, there was some connection a couple of years ago before he went to, to Red Bull that uh, perhaps he could go to a Mercedes in a reserve driver role or something like that. But uh, they, they held fast and they were looking for a race seat instead and he got his opportunity when uh, he was able to replace Danny Kvyat at Red Bull and, well, basically swapping places with Kvyat, him going to Red Bull and then Kvyat going back to uh, Toro Rosso. However... I think that um, you know it. It it really does show that uh, that they are serious and they think that they've got something uh, good going on there at uh, at Red Bull. I mean, they really have to step up and uh, deliver now that uh, that they've um, signed Max to a, a contract. And Max uh, says that he believes that they have the foundation of uh, a championship uh, potential at uh, at Red Bull. So I uh, now they've uh, done the done what they needed to do to get the driver that they think they need. Now they just have to to step up and deliver a car and Honda need to step up and um, put a, a power unit in the back of the car that are going to put him in a position to win races and to, to win championships and uh, I think that in a season in 2019 when uh, it was all Mercedes for so much of the season that to, to win three races for Max Verstappen I think was an outstanding uh, achievement uh, considering that last year was uh, I think very much an unknown that uh, you know just being the first year of the new Red Bull Honda partnership that it, it really was I, th- I think a situation that we're all looking with uh, and, and really keeping an eye on to see how th- how well that would work in their first year to, together because there really was, I think, a lot of question marks. And I, I mean, there's always a bit of a risk uh, when you change something as uh, important as a, a power unit in the back of your car and uh, you, you change from one uh, manufacturer to another. And uh, I mean, we, we all know the saga and the troubles uh, that Red Bull and or difficulties, I guess we should say, maybe not uh, troubles. Uh, they might. Uh, want to use that word uh, perhaps more than me, but it certainly wasn't as smooth sailings in the in, in the V6 uh, turbo hybrid era as it was previously when uh, they were winning lots of races and lots of championships uh, together. And uh, but you know that being said, you could tell that relationship had really run its course. So Honda really were in the right place at the right time, but uh, they really had I, I think a bit of uh, a black mark on them uh, considering the. Um, the troubles that they had with the McLaren, but here they are, they are paired together. The first season went very well. And uh, I think that uh, they were still able to perform on a similar uh, level that they were previously with, uh, with Renault. And you know, they were always able to win a race or two uh, every year and manage uh, several podiums uh, for the drivers uh, as well. So that was achieved uh, last year. Um, Gasly obviously didn't uh, deliver as much as he probably should have, but now they really have, uh, have to step up. Like I say, I mean, Max is hungry. He says he wants to win a championship uh, with Red Bull. He wants to win win a championship uh, with Honda as well. And uh, I, I think that if they can really get everything uh, together, that uh, it the, the the potential is there. I firmly believe that. I mean, uh, Max Verstappen has uh, shown over the years that uh, despite some of the shortcomings and some of the issues that uh, that he's had, I mean, you have to remember that uh, he was pretty young when he came into Formula One, still as a teenager. And uh, even though the his uh, talent was never really beyond doubt. I 
think uh, we did have to watch and, and, and witness him uh, mature and grow up a little bit. And I think that the real turning point uh, for me at any rate, uh, which I've mentioned several times over the past year or so, was that uh, the, the, the real turning point for me was um, Max in, in, in 2018, because he got off to a bit of a rocky start, had um, made a couple of mistakes early in the season. And I think it really came to a head at Monaco that year when he uh, put the car into the wall in FP3 and then uh, was not able to get back out onto the track and qualified and uh, had to start from the back of the grid. I mean, he did very well to get into the top 10. I mean, he was the, the only guy that really made any progress through the um, through the race order on that day uh, than, uh, than, than anyone else did. So, I mean, that was, uh, you know, very, very impressive what he did. But more so, I think, uh, what the, the aftermath, I mean, the, all the things that were said, I, I think, by Helmut Marko, um, just saying that I think, it, I can't remember the exact word, but I think he was basically hinting at that, uh, that Max was impatient and needed to grow up a little bit. I mean, I'm kind of parsing here, kind of paraphrasing, but that that was sort of the gist of what uh, what Marco was getting across. Hey, how uh, Max uh, shows up a couple of weeks later at uh, at uh, at the uh, Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal, all by himself, no entourage, no father, no no Jos Verstappen in the pits, and and there all weekend long. And he really came out in that that first race bat. That, that he he turned it around, had a very good result in in Montreal. And for me, I don't think he's ever really uh, looked back. I think he's become uh, more consistent. I think he's become more focused. And uh, the the results, um, they've been there. I mean, I think he's done the very best uh, that he can do in the car and uh, and the engine that uh, that he's had. So, I mean, as, if this is what we can uh, expect to see from Max Verstappen in, um, I don't want to really uh, throw shade at uh, at Red Bull and uh, and uh, Renault or Honda or anybody but like that. But I mean, compared to uh, Renault or sorry, compared to uh, Mercedes and they're they're the class of the field and and Ferrari for a, a good portion of time there as well. The Red Bull was uh, almost a little bit uh, second fiddle. I mean, uh, Mercedes has been um, the, the the benchmark for everyone else. But I mean, Ferrari's been able to uh, claw their way back and uh, and fight on them with some uh, you know uh, level terms from time to time. <laughs> Obviously, not for most of the 2019 season, but 2018 uh, was was pretty even until about halfway through the year, and then after the summer break, after Spa, I, and uh, that uh, that challenge uh, really started to uh, fall apart in um, Singapore. Or sorry, Italy in 2018 when uh, Hamilton and, um, and and Vettel collided together. That's when it kind of went downhill. But anyways, um, Red Bull has always been a little bit of a step uh, behind. And then uh, this past year, they were able to, to turn it around and uh, were uh, better than Ferrari for a good uh, portion of the season there. And Ferrari had a bit of a renaissance later in the year. And I know there's that whole uh, debate and the, the question of the legality of the engine and, and all that, uh, which, uh, you know, <laughs> depends to who you really are on which side of the conversation i mean um, ferrari they've uh, been maintaining uh, the entire time and even again recently that there was uh, nothing wrong there was nothing uh, illegal about uh, what they had uh, been doing with their engine and they felt uh, that their cause was uh, was justified or verified uh, perhaps is more accurate uh, by the fact that uh, that uh, even though that uh, the, the engine and uh, was scrutinized and examined many times over the course of the year they were never penalized for it and i mean that's no uh, no uh, i guess guarantee that that, uh, that they weren't uh, cheating, then maybe that's uh, perhaps, uh, you know, if you're skeptical or a bit of a cynic, you say, well, then maybe they just had found a good enough way to <laughs> to hide it and prevent the scrutineers um, uh, to really figure out what they were, what, what they were doing. 
thing. Uh, anyhow, um, the, this year, of course, they struggled with downforce, and where they struggled, Red Bull uh, stepped up. And uh, I think the first real signal that uh, that uh, that there was something special going on, or the potential of something good happening with Red Bull and Honda, was at the Austrian Grand Prix because um, Mercedes just they weren't in it for that uh, for that weekend. They just uh, d- didn't have the pace compared to um, everyone else. I mean, uh, Charles Leclerc was uh, leading a good portion of the race, but uh, ultimately nobody was going to stop uh, Max uh, Verstappen. I mean, uh, he he just was the guy in the right car on that on that day. And uh, if um, Honda and Red Bull can uh, deliver him a car and reliable uh, power and lots of it on a more regular basis, then it will be fun to watch him uh, scrapping it out there at the top. I mean, we've seen it at times. Uh, you know, it can get a little bit nasty between himself and uh, Charles Leclerc. And uh, you know, I I don't mind telling you, I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see Max fighting with guys like uh, Leclerc and uh, and Lewis Hamilton, uh, Sebastian Vettel. Maybe not so much if you're Sebastian Vettel, but still, Max is an exciting guy to to watch and uh, to see him ink a deal with the Red Bull for the next uh, several years is going to be um, it's going to be a, a, an interesting and fun situation uh, to watch. Anyways, Max had to say about his uh, extension uh, with, with his contract. Uh, quote: I am really happy to have extended my partnership with the team. Red Bull believed in me and gave me the opportunity to start in Formula One, which I have always been very grateful for. Over the years, I've grown closer and closer with the team, and besides the passion from everyone on the track performance, it is also really enjoyable to work with such a great group of people. Honda coming on board and the progress we've made over the past 12 months gives me even more motivation and the belief that we can win together. I respect the way Red Bull and Honda work together, and from all sides, everyone is doing what they can to succeed. I want to win with Red Bull, and our goal is, of course, to fight for a world championship together. So there you go. Max saying all the right things, and uh, obviously quite pleased and happy to have extended his deal with Red Bull and Honda for the next several years until 2023. Anyways, time for a quick break. We'll be back again in just one moment. Don't go away. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. 
All right, so uh, welcome back to the show. And uh, sticking with uh, Max Verstappen, Honda says that they believe that uh, relationship with uh, Max is very much, quote, like a young Senna. And uh, that comes from the lips of Honda Formula One boss. And uh, that's uh, Masashi Yamamoto. He told motorsport.com, quote, as Honda, we see him as a very important factor with Honda's project. He's young, but his driving is really impressive. He looks like seeing a young Senna with his relationship with Honda. Max maybe pays respect to Honda. He feels Honda is familiar. And then probably the badge he showed on the podium in Austria proved that he was very happy as well. This gives us an emotion that we want to provide a good engine for him. Of course, all the four drivers are very important to us. So again, I think it's a, it's very interesting uh, comparing uh, Honda and uh, and Renault and the relationship that they have with uh, Red Bull. And of course, uh, Renault and, and, and Red Bull had been uh, uh, partners together for many, many years, but it's been slowly going downhill. I mean, Christine Horner had been critical about the lack of power in their engines going back as uh, early as 2015, perhaps even 2014. Uh, I know he was talking about it in, in 2015, but I might have the, the dates mixed up. I mean, it is, uh, you know, going on five, six years ago, but it's... It, it's been a while, and as I was saying just uh, before the break, I felt that uh, that uh, relationship had really run its course, and Honda was just in the right place at the right time, and uh, of course, Red Bull had the opportunity to evaluate their engines while they were in the back of their their junior team in Toro Rosso, so they were really, really good, uh, in a good position to evaluate that, and uh, you can tell that uh, it just seems on all sides, there seems to be a lot of good, um, good synergy, you know? Uh, Max seems happy, obviously, with the team he seems happy with honda and vice versa from all the other sides and then you have the uh, the, the good relationship that uh, red bull have with honda and uh it, it just seems that uh, if if they can get it right then uh, it could be uh, they could make a quantum leap forward and uh, max did say um, earlier in the week uh, uh quote i think so i think we're in the right direction there's no question about that now it's just about how much development we can push through for next year i more or less know i hope it's just going to be enough Next year, there are no real changes in the regulations anyways, so you can just build on what you have now. And with the second year working with Honda, I think that should help. We massively improved the performance of the engine. I think we know where we have to improve on. We've already improved the car. So I think Max also makes a, a very, very good point there that um, that they are just building uh, upon what uh, what they've done for, uh, for uh, the, this past year because the regs are basically frozen right now. There's uh, no significant uh, changes to, to really talk of. Uh, for for 2020 i mean 2021 is going to be the um it's all going to be brand new right i mean the cars are going to be completely different um you know the regulations are going to completely change and i mean i i don't really dislike the way that the cars are now i think the 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 current formula that uh, came into effect in 2017 i think it's worked all right i mean i don't have any real um, issues with it i think that there are a little bit more opportunities uh, for overtaking i mean it's not really super close wheel to wheel racing but I, I think some of the the criticism that I've seen out there, I I, I think it really depends on the race and the track uh, as well. I mean, the cars uh, certainly seem suited uh, better to some tracks uh, more than others. Uh, I mean, Monaco always seems to draw a lot of criticism, but I think that uh, it's just not a great track for modern Formula One cars. Uh, I, I think they're just too fast. They're they're too quick uh, through the corners. There's too much uh, disturbance uh, behind the cars with the with the aerodynamics, and I, I think that's you know obviously a big 
big problem with uh, why guys uh, are not able to find themselves in uh, in, in good opportunities uh, to pass cars uh, on uh, around the streets of Monte Carlo. But you know, having said that, I mean, we have seen over the years uh, some guys um, are just able to uh, to get the job done. I mean, uh, Max Verstappen did just that in uh, in 2018, uh, made up uh, at least uh, 10, if uh, not uh, more, uh, positions over the course of the entire race after starting at the back of the uh, the, the, the the grid. Um, however, uh, this year things are a little bit uh, different uh, com- compared to, uh, to to 2021. So, I mean, uh, we, we are sticking with uh, what's going on. What what's uh, you know basically was uh, on the table for 2019. So there, it's just going to be a, an iteration and improvement uh, upon that. So, I guess uh, we'll see. Um, I guess it will be interesting to find out who's really focused more on the, the the cars for this year, or really putting in a lot more effort into the um, getting the design and the concept right for for twenty twenty one. I mean, you just have to uh, assume that uh, the the Mercedes are going to put out a good car. I mean, until they they put out a lemon on the track, uh, I I really don't have any any reason to doubt them. I mean, uh, I, I think you you'd be a little bit uh, mad uh, to, to to suggest at this point that um, this this is year that uh, Mercedes aren't going to get it. Right. I mean, there, there's always that possibility, but I just uh, can't see it happening uh, personally. I mean, uh, this just seems to be uh, a group of people that uh, that love winning races. And it seems to me every time one of their cars wins, I mean, the uh, the emotion that you see in the pits, on the pit wall, it, it seems genuine to me. I, do, I don't see, um, you know, people getting a little sort of blase about, oh, you know, whatever, we won another race. I mean, they seem genuinely excited every time they win a race, every time they win a championship. And, uh, you know, be it either drivers or constructors, I mean, they seem like they're genuinely excited. So we just have to assume that they're going to build a a good car for this year. And then the big question becomes, who else is going to uh, build a good car that can uh, really challenge? I mean, uh, you'd have to assume that uh, Ferrari is going to be in that um, conversation. Uh, But again, it just really um, comes down to can they get it right this year after having such a disappointing 2019? I mean, after doing so well and uh, really signaling well in uh, in winter testing that the car was just that much uh, better or faster than everyone else it uh, was completely the uh, the difference once uh, we got to Australia and it went from a, a testing situation to live racing they were so far off of the pace but I mean having said that I mean they just had the car I think uh, dialed in better than uh, some of their kind of competitors I mean um, Red Bull for example their testing was limited I mean they had Max there and they had Pierre Gasly and then uh, in one of the test sessions uh, Gasly racked up the car and I think it might have been the only car that they brought that time or or at least um, it it put a real drain on resources and spare parts and that uh, affected the amount of time that Max could get out there and then uh, Mercedes uh, they've been quite candid and open that uh, they just didn't understand the W10 as well as they they, they thought it it really handled in in, in real life a a lot different uh, than they were predicting and what the the drivers were expecting and Lewis has come out and said that uh, it took a while to get uh, that car dialed in and once they did I mean you know wow what they achieved last year again was uh was just uh, remarkable and again it just shows uh, how many points and and how much you can achieve in Formula One when you have a, a good pairing of drivers like Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas I mean Bottas of course is not going to win as many races as Lewis Hamilton but 
there were only a couple of races last year where he was really off the pace. I mean, he's always good for um, you know to, to get a podium. You're gonna get a, you know bring a, a a bunch of points home back there, and I mean he's good for a couple of race wins uh, every year as well. I mean, uh, if he's uh, doing what he needs to do, I mean 2018 was the uh, the exception year there. I mean that was um, a bit of a tough year for him. The closest uh, he came was winning in uh, Azerbaijan, but uh, you know he ran over a piece of debris and then he ends up uh, you know that ruined his afternoon and then uh, later in the year I mean he always does well at Sachi uh, he just um, the Russian Grand Prix is just one of those tracks where uh, you know it, it's funny I mean the, the good drivers are good everywhere but uh, it, it really is amazing that um, you can get uh, one a certain guy in a certain car on a certain track and it just works that well and I mean uh, Valtteri Bottas is that guy that uh, just seems to do very well around the the, the streets of the Sachi Autodrome uh, but anyways uh, just to just just talking about that um, uh, and Bottas you know that he's uh, going to be good for some uh, wins and podiums and they're going to get a lot of points uh, that way as well so anyways uh, I'm, I'm starting to wander a little bit I did want to stick on the topic uh, of Valtteri Bottas and uh, and everything uh, that uh, that he has to do this year because he says that uh, he wants to make uh, the Mercedes renewal for 2021 what he calls quote a no-brainer and that's going to be kind of uh, I don't want to say it's difficult. I mean, he has proven that he deserves to be there. And just what I was saying just now, I mean, the the combination of Hamilton and and, uh, and Bottas works well. I mean, just the amount of points that they're able to, to to rack up over the course of a year. I mean, won the Constructors' Championship uh, by a mile. And uh, I think uh, Red Bull, they, they have to uh, consider 2019 a bit of a missed opportunity because, I mean, th- they were good enough and uh, they were consistent enough to, to, to be in front of uh, Ferrari. But that was the problem with, um, with, uh, with uh, Pierre Gasly. He just was uh, a little bit in over his head. I think that's uh, you know fair to say after he moved up uh, from Toro Rosso, and um, he just wasn't able to deliver as much points. I mean, he, he just was not able to get as much out of the car. And uh, Alex Albon, who took over and uh, then uh, had the last what was it nine races of 2019, I think he did an excellent job. Uh, and and the way that he was able to bring home the points, that's what I was expecting more for uh, Pierre Gasly. So certainly for Red Bull last year. If uh, Gasly was able to, to to do more in the opening uh, half of the season up until the Hungarian Grand Prix, then I think that they had a legit uh, shot at uh, beating Ferrari in the Constructors' uh, Championship and and, and finishing, uh, finishing second. But anyways, uh, Bottas, he does have uh, quite a lot, in my opinion, uh, to do. I think uh, just because uh, he's... I mean, he has been at Mercedes for, for the past uh, several years, but I think their reluctance to, to hand him a, a multi-year or a long-term contract really, I think, sort of signals uh, something to the effect that I think they've been keeping their their options open that uh, if somebody is uh, available on the driver's market that uh, that might be able to do more than uh, Valtteri uh, Bottas then they might uh, be uh, willing to do that I mean could we see potentially George Russell who is a Mercedes uh, driver at uh, at Williams um, you know that this past season could we see him go uh, up to the, uh, the the big team in 2021 if Lewis Hamilton stays there and they decide that uh, maybe uh, George is the guy to um, uh, do a replace a uh, uh, Valtteri Bottas, I guess that's uh, an option. I mean, some other names that uh, I've heard, heard thrown around there as well is uh, Danny Ricardo, and I, I mean that's an interesting one as well. I mean, he took a huge risk um, going from Red Bull 
<clears throat> excuse me, to Renault. But uh, now looking at uh, the, the fact that Max has signed that long-term deal until 2023, maybe that uh, just uh, justifies in, uh, in, in Danny Rick's own mind that uh, he made the right call, even though that they never really came out and said publicly at any rate that Max was the number one guy. I think uh, that everybody got the vibe uh, that, in, you know, and uh, Ricardo probably more than others, that that, that was uh, Max's team. And no matter what he did, that uh, he might always be a little bit, I don't want to say the odd man out or looking from the outside in but um, you know certainly when you have a guy like uh, Max Verstappen and he has all the um, the, the, the traits and uh, all of the hallmarks of a, of a, a Formula One champion then that's a that's a tough thing uh, to do I, I think Danny Ricardo's a, a very good racing driver I mean five years at, uh, at Red Bull I mean he did very well I mean number of podiums uh, several race uh, victories and um, you know I, I have to admit uh, I missed uh, not seeing the honey badger up on the podium last year Formula One needs the shoey no matter how disgusting it may be to drink champagne and toe jam out of your own racing boots uh, but whatever it seems to work for for Danny Ricardo so uh, that that would be interesting I mean I've, I've also heard uh, Danny Ricardo's uh, name uh, thrown out there possibly with a link to to, to Ferrari and uh, I mean these are all going to get uh, thrown out there I mean who really is going to be like a, an option to go to Ferrari? I mean, nobody's going to come in out of nowhere. I think that uh, Mick Schumacher, uh, I, he's he's still a little bit uh, too young. I mean, he, even if he wins in Formula 2 next year, I mean, he's still a young guy. I mean, Charles Leclerc, I mean, he's done uh, exceptionally well in his first year at uh, Ferrari. But uh, we, we all know that uh, typically Ferrari have not given a lot of shots uh, to youngsters. And uh, Leclerc has been more the exception uh, rather than the rule. And and uh, I, I, I just struggle to see Ferrari taking another big leap of faith on a, a young driver like uh, Mick Schumacher, no matter how good or how much potential he has uh, at this point. It just seems a little bit early in my mind. I think that uh, unless... Uh, Sebastian Vettel maybe takes a big uh, pay cut, you know, the hometown discount or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I just, I'm weighing more, or I think I'm leaning more to the... Uh, uh, the, 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 the scenario that, uh, takes, um, Sebastian Vettel away from Ferrari after 2020. I, I just feel that it's just, uh, I think he would benefit from a change of scenery to be quite, uh, quite honest. But I mean, there are some big names that are, are still to, to move around for, for 2021. Vettel's one of them. Hamilton's one of them. Bottas is one of them. And, uh, I think that it's going to be a little bit, uh, of, of musical chairs within Formula One. Like I say, I mean, there's not going to be anybody coming out from uh, somewhere else. I mean, it's not like the NFL and you trade like, uh, players, uh, between teams and like, uh, and, and so forth. I mean, the guys that are in Formula One are, are there for a reason. And the guys that are at the top of Formula One, they're definitely definitely where they are for for a reason. So, I mean, they're almost more lateral and sideways uh, moves, um, if anything. But I just, uh, like I say, I, I kind of struggle a little bit to, to think that um, Vettel will remain with uh, Ferrari for, uh, you know, a, a, for a long term, let's put it that way. I mean, maybe he signs like a one-year deal or something like that. I could see that uh, potentially happening or maybe two years and maybe reduced salary and maybe not as a number one. But again, uh, I guess uh, a lot of that uh, you know rests on the shoulders of uh, Sebastian Vettel and what he wants to do, what he thinks he's worth and what he thinks he can uh, accomplish. Or maybe just uh, like I was saying just now, maybe he thinks that he needs a bit of uh, um, a change of scenery and a fresh start somewhere else. And I, I think I 
mentioned over one of the recent uh, recent shows that I believe that uh, his name was uh, thrown out there as a possible uh, guy to go to uh, McLaren for 2021, and that uh, certainly is an interesting uh, prospect uh, as well. But uh, just sort of sticking with the, or going back to to Hamilton and uh, and, and Bottas, you know, Hamilton says that he did feel uh, pressure from Valtteri Bottas 2.0 at the start, and I think at the start of the 2019 season is the quote um, that really stands out here. And, you know, I mean, Bottas, I mean, he did have a very, very uh, impressive opening race to start the season at at Melbourne. I mean, he came out flying. I mean, even Lewis couldn't uh, keep up to him. And and Lewis, I think, is still the fastest uh, driver in Formula One, not just over the course of one lap. I mean, when, when... the time comes, he needs to throw it down. I mean, nobody can do it like Lewis Hamilton. I mean, they call it hammer time for a reason, right? Anyways, um, it was kind of interesting. I mean, um, Bottas came into the season after, I think, uh, really digging deep and doing some soul searching in, in the winter of 2018 and the, the beginning of 2019. And uh, it was kind of, um, I, I thought it was just really revealing uh, after the race when he pulled into uh, the paddock and uh, his um, his quote over the radio was, to whom it may concern, bleep you. And uh, <laughs> I think that really kind of signaled uh, that, uh, I, I don't know who that was uh, really um, uh, aimed at. However, I think it really showed that um, uh, Bottas, I came back for 2019, was one that came back with a bit of an edge and a little bit more fire in the belly, more fight, whatever you want to call it. And uh, Lewis uh, had to say, quote, uh, or at least about the um, the, uh, uh, the the start of last season, quote, qualifying was good in Melbourne, but I lost the race. I had damage and I fell back quite far. The first couple of races are usually not perfect for me. They're still not bad, but uh, still better than average. But then there's the outside pressures of Valtteri 2.0. And I'm thinking we're 2-2 at one stage, two wins apiece. I've got to say, stall it in my mind. I can't allow the outside factors uh, to affect me. But being human, it's very hard not to notice those things. You know, that that is interesting that uh, he should say that. But you have to remember over the course of uh, 21 races, or in this case, or in this year, 22 races, I think over the long run, I think that uh, that Lewis, despite him being, I think, fairly uh, open and, uh, and and quite forthcoming in saying that uh, that he feels the pressure and things like that, I think over the the, the course of the entire year, I, I just can't see anybody else really sticking with him mentally. I mean, Max Verstappen might be able to, Charles might be able to, but... Uh, Bottas, I'm I'm not so sure. I I think that uh, I just find it hard that if a push comes to shove, I just don't know if uh, Bottas has that edge to really stand up and 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 fight Lewis Hamilton. I mean, uh, obviously ha- Hamilton and Rosberg uh, didn't uh, really get along uh, that well, and I mean I know that's a massive uh, understatement. And and uh, Rosberg was perfectly uh, you know fine and standing up to to Lewis. Uh, you know sometimes. Uh, it did not end well. I think about Austria, think about Spain, think about Spa. You know, <laughs> there's a number of examples. I mean, a lot of it was a little bit uh, foolish as well. And uh, I mean, that that all really did, uh, you know, come down to the situation that uh, that the team basically had to say that if they don't clean it up, that we're going to have to get rid of one or both of those guys. And I think that's a massive statement for one of them to say when you have two very good uh, racing drivers, one of whom is Lewis Hamilton uh, in your team. And I, I think there was, you, you just got read between the lines uh, there and they say if we're going to get rid of one or both of the drivers I just know they're not going to get rid of Lewis Hamilton I mean come on let's be realistic
optimistic here. Um, anyways, uh, I think over the course of the season that uh, that the Valtteri, I mean, I, you got to say all the right things, but I just think that uh, when, when it comes down to it, that uh, he's always, I just get the impression that he's going to defer um, and uh, to, to Lewis Hamilton. I just don't know if um, he can uh, really mount uh, a sustained uh, challenge or effort uh, to, to beat Lewis Hamilton uh, and win a world championship. Maybe he can prove me wrong. I mean, uh, there, there is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, shut the door on that, but I just, uh, I just, I have to see it with my own eyes to believe it. Uh, let, let's just put it uh, that way. Anyways, uh, time now for another quick break. Don't go away. We'll be back after a very short message from our sponsors. Don't go away. All right, uh, welcome back to the show, and uh, just uh, talking a little bit now about uh, some uh, other topics, uh, just uh, kind of looking uh, ahead a little bit. Uh, anyways, uh, Red Bull uh, says that uh, the engine legality lockout, lockdown pardon me, was uh, enormously important to uh, ensure that they have a level of uh, playing field in Formula One uh, for, for this year. So, I mean, th- there were at uh, times in the latter part of uh, last year, there were clarification requests uh, from, from the teams and there were a bunch of uh, technical uh, directives that uh, were issued uh, by uh, the FIA and Formula One uh, towards uh, the end of last season, uh, really explaining what uh, they were and were not allowed uh, to do with, uh, you know, engine tricks. Let's just call it the gray area, you know, kind of pushing the envelope and uh, stretching the, the, the rules uh, to, to their limit. And uh, just going back to what we were talking about uh, earlier in the show, I mean, there, there was a lot of pressure and scrutiny on uh, Ferrari and uh, just uh, where were they getting all that uh, extra power and the, the straight line speed that they had. And uh, there there was a lot of, um, you know, talk and uh, accusations uh, thrown out uh, that they were exploring all these gray areas uh, and uh, they uh, that were really exploiting those or, you know, contravening them in, uh, in some respects. I mean, um, a lot of people had uh, different uh, things to say and really question it, unless you're Max Verstappen, who, you know, bluntly just came out and said, you know, they're cheating, <laughs> which, uh, you know, I mean, uh, that's Max. I mean, he calls a spade a spade. Uh, and it was it was kind of interesting to watch the response from the from uh, Ferrari's side. I mean, uh, Bonato just saying that uh, that there's nothing that they're doing wrong. Vettel very much the same thing. And then saying Max is, a, a you know, immature and stuff like that. And then uh, Charles uh, basically dismissing it and saying, well, he's not in our team. How would you know what we're doing? So it is kind of interesting, but um, I, I do agree, though, with uh, with Red Bull that uh, it, it's going to be like it's either going to be black or white, uh, you know, and the, the, the rules have to be crystal clear because, I mean, if um, there, there's too much uh, grayness to the rules, then, of course, uh, you're going to have these uh, the, the, these people that are very smart engineers and designers. They're going to be looking to uh, bend and exploit every um, gray area in the rules uh, to, to their advantage. So they really have to uh, to, to get that uh, under, under control. But uh, Christian Horner had to say... Uh, uh, quote, uh, the power unit aspect of the car is an incredibly complex piece of kit, and I think that the FIA don't have the expertise that the teams have developed. I think what has been clarified is a lockdown in various areas, which is focused on what's happening going forward rather than us looking behind us. And for us, what was enormously important was to have an absolute clarity going into the 2020 season. So there you go. 
All right. Uh, well, uh, another thing I wanted to talk about, and I just noticed I skipped ahead of my notes uh, a little bit, and uh, this was uh, something I thought was uh, interesting, but uh, Alfa Romeo boss uh, Frederica Vassour believes that uh, Charles Leclerc's self-confidence and self-criticism are the biggest traits that make him a champion. And that's uh, a direct uh, quote uh, from uh, Vassour. And I mean, what, what Charles has done in two years in, in Formula One, I think, uh, in my mind, is absolutely uh, in- incredible. I mean, I think he's been very, very impressive i mean winning a couple of races in his first year with ferrari a bunch of podiums uh, flat out uh, beating his uh, teammate and qualifying so many times i mean the the, the list uh, just goes uh, on and on but uh, but i mean the mistakes were there i mean uh, look at uh, uh, the, uh, the the crash they had in uh, in azerbaijan and qualifying i mean that wasn't uh, you know that didn't make uh, charles look all that good but again i mean he is a young guy he's still learning and uh, the, the, the big thing for me is that over the course of the entire year I think he found his feet uh, rather well, and I think he settled down nicely. I mean, it can't be easy, regardless how good of a driver that uh, you are. I mean, uh, we all know that uh, to get into Formula One in the first place, uh, not only do you have to be a very good uh, driver, I mean, uh, you also have to be very good in the gray matter, you know, the, 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 the uh, you know, between the years. And, um, you know, it all comes down to focus as well, and also the the, the mental aspect and handling the pressure. And I, like I say, it can't be easy uh, for anyone to, to go to a team uh, like Ferrari where the uh, the the scrutiny is so intense and the, the the passion that the fans have is so big and just the huge expectations that uh, that, uh, that that are out there for anybody that goes uh, to drive uh, Ferrari so uh, I, I think Charles uh, handled it uh, very well and of course his rookie season Formula One the year before in 2018 with uh, Sauber Alfa Romeo as it uh, was uh, called back then I mean again I think uh, just uh, incredibly impressive uh, what what he did and uh, obviously was a, a very average uh, car and that's I think being uh, you know fairly flattering as well uh, for the for the car that year but I mean he did uh, I, I think when you know you use the benchmark of uh, well okay what what did Charles do and how did his teammate Marcus Erickson do I mean it really was a pretty clear-cut uh, situation I mean uh, Charles was uh, miles ahead of him uh, all year long and I mean uh, he was just able to get more out of that car uh, out of that uh, that that sober than his teammate and uh, the, the ways that uh, he was able to uh, get up uh, as high as he could into qualifying getting to Q3 quite a good number of times I think he did uh, you know he, he did cool off a little bit uh, towards the end of the season but he, uh, in my mind, I think he did very, very well for uh, Sauber Alfa Romeo last year. And um, uh, obviously Ferrari, you know, they, they've had him in their system, in their academy for a number, a number of years. So, I mean, it was a question, is he going to develop enough to the point where he could be a guy that uh, can come into our team and, uh, and win races? And that, uh, that answer is obviously uh, yes. But anyway, so what, uh, what, what Vasseur uh, was saying was, uh, quote, I think it's one of the characteristics of Charles, but uh, mainly of champions, to be very very, very self-confident in the car and they can sometimes be able to do things coming from the moon because they have huge self-confidence and the self-confidence allows them when they're out of the car to have self-criticism to blame themselves because they know perfectly that they have the potential they are a champion they can say okay i had a poor drive today and it's only a champion who's able to say something like this on paper they are better than the others but he's able to blame himself 
okay, forget the session, I had a poor drive. And it's good for the team because when it's not the case, they could bring you in the wrong direction. So there you go. I think that's a, a very, very uh, insightful quote uh, from Frederick Vasseur into uh, you know, what, uh, what what Charles uh, Leclerc is like and uh, everything that uh, that he brings uh, to the table. And, you know, obviously we've been talking about it for a long, long time here uh, among ourselves, just uh, how good Charles is and uh, very much uh, like uh, Max Verstappen that uh, given a, a good car and a fast and reliable car that uh, this guy has uh, the, uh, the 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 characteristics uh, to be a race winner and a world champion. So uh, if it's going to be f- uh, fun watching Max over the next uh, several years, it's going to be equally as enjoyable to watch uh, Charles Leclerc, especially if uh, you know their respective teams can can give them good cars uh, to to go out and uh, race with. Anyways, uh, this next story I think is uh, is really cool, and that's uh, McLaren, and they're planning to run at a budget uh, cap uh, level, and. Uh, that this is uh, their bid uh, that they will try to match uh, the the top teams uh, in 2021 by running to the limit of the the, the budget cap, uh, which will be set to 175 million dollars. Which uh, you know doesn't sound like a lot uh, for Formula One. I mean, considering how much money some of these uh, top teams like uh, Ferrari and Mercedes are spending, but uh, I think um, I think it's a good idea. I like the concept that uh, by you know everybody spending similar amounts of money and say uh, you know one team is spending say. Like, 175 million right now but uh uh say mercedes is spending three or four or 500 million a year of course uh you know they have the resources uh, to do so so in principle i think it's a good idea but when it comes down to the um things like salary caps and that we've seen in other leagues and other financial restraints does it work does it help break the strangleholds that some of these um you know dominant teams regardless what sport it is uh doesn't matter if it's uh football or hockey basketball what baseball whatever it is or a motorsport like Formula One, they they are sort of artificial measures, if you want to call them that. But we'll have to wait and see if it works or not. Um, Just, I I guess when it comes down to it, it, it's not much how much money you spend, it's uh, but how you use it, um, you know, it it might make uh, some of these other teams, uh, you know, but uh, they might be able to come up with more... uh, ingenuity in their design and come up with uh, something a little bit special and maybe a little bit uh, unorthodox. But the thing is that uh, when you have like a team like Mercedes, say spending 400 million now, and they're reducing that to 175 million, of course, they've got to be a, you know, a little bit more clever in the way that they do things. But, you know, they're still going to have all those uh, people that were designing and building the cars when the the budget was 400 million uh, in, uh, you know, reduced to 175. And then the, the, the vice... uh, on the, on, the, on the flip side, vice versa, that a team that was maybe spending less than that before, now they got to spend a little bit more, and then, you know, there's still the same people there. So then it really comes down to a question of, you know, who has the better engineers and designers? Is it, say, Racing Points or is it uh, Mercedes? And I think that that regardless of what the uh, the salary cap is in Formula 1, or sorry, the, the budget cap, whatever you want to call it, that, um, that uh, you know, teams like uh, Mercedes and Ferrari just being who they are, I think that they're always going to get, uh, you know, their lion's share of the the, the pick of the, uh, you know, the best people out there. Anyways, um, Andrea Seidel, uh, team principal, said, quote, this, uh, the target uh, for us is uh, clearly to run at the budget cap. There's a clear commitment that we will run at the budget cap because obviously that's the only chance to be able to fight the big ones. You need to be on a level play, uh, playing field in terms of uh, budget. So, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see because uh, Seidel goes on to say, quote, you need to be realistic and what is achievable, even if some
someone will give us for the next year 100 million more. You first need to be able to digest that and put a structure in place that you can actually produce more output in this short period of time. That's why I'm not actually too worried about 2020. Also not too worried about the quotes I'm reading at the moment that it will be the most expensive year ever for the top three teams. In the end, there's a limitation placed on the CFD side on the wind tunnel side. So there's only so much you can do and the arrow will be in the future key performance differentiator. They will have a head start simply because where they are right now, because they do a better job and have better methodologies in place and they have better processes in place and so on. So there you go. It really, like I say, it comes down to it. It's when it comes to the budget cap world, it's really going to be how you spend that money and spend it wisely. So kind of an interesting quote there from Andreas Seidel. All right. Well, sticking with McLaren, just what was hinted at by Seidel just now, and they say it's, quote, no mission impossible to fight the top three teams in uh, in 2021 and like i say i think that is a, a fairly lofty uh, goal uh, that uh, that uh, mercedes or sorry that uh, mclaren is uh, saying but uh, i mean they will have uh, mercedes engines again i mean uh, that uh, is something for them to, to look forward to but um, seidel uh, the team principal saying quote short term my target is clearly that with next year's car we can make the next step but at the same time we need to be realistic for me a very good step will be to see if we can jump somewhere in between where we are now and where these top teams are in terms of lap time, which would be a great achievement, but it's still hard work to get there because the top three teams will continue working on their cars as well. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's, uh, that is, I think, uh, again, very insightful from, uh, from Andreas Seidel, but I think it really goes to show you that when it comes to 2021, how much uh, these uh, new regulations really are going to set, uh, it, it's going to change the I think the whole environment of uh, Formula One, obviously, I mean, when things uh, change that uh, dramatically or dramatically, so everything is uh, new for everyone else, and uh, it it may, it will be interesting to see how it all plays out, and uh, if it brings uh, the teams uh, closer together, or if it's uh, going to maintain the status quo, or is it going to mess things up uh, that that some other teams that have uh, previously not done anything so spectacular will it uh, will it give them an opportunity uh, to do. Some something. So it is interesting and uh, seeing or hearing from Andreas Seidel that uh, that all the changes really kind of throw things open a little bit and uh, and gives uh, hope and the opportunity for some of these teams that have been uh, you know not as successful as Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull over the past uh, several years that uh, that they will have a shot uh, to be uh, competitive in, in 2021. Of course, like we said before uh, on this program that uh, we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> That's all it's going to come down to. I mean, it uh, you know it it really depends on who gets it right and who gets it wrong. And the the, the top three teams they've been the top three teams for a reason. And uh, until proven otherwise, as we saw Ferrari struggle last year, it proves that it can be possible. Uh, that uh, so, uh, that uh, we have to assume that uh, they're just going to still keep getting things uh, right and they'll still be the the fastest and most competitive cars. And that's echoes pretty much uh, what uh, Gunther Steiner was uh, saying, the team principal at uh, Haas, uh, who says uh, he believes it's very naive uh, to think that uh, the new uh, budget cap and uh, regulations will uh, change the, uh, the the pecking order in in Formula One. And um, Steiner to say, quote, it's very naive, it's not going to happen. I think it's difficult to say where uh, what to convince uh, Gene Haas. He needs to convince himself. That's how I see it. He understands what best. I don't think I can do a lot to convince 
convince him. He needs to convince himself that this is what he wants to do, that this is what he wants to use his marketing money to invest in. He's got a good enough understanding that if I tell him we can win in 2021, he might say he doesn't know what he's doing. So I would have to agree with him. So I don't know. But as I said, there's still much uh, open issues here at the moment. So I don't know if you should make a decision now. So uh, it, it is interesting that, uh, you know, Gene Haas, the owner of, uh, of uh, Haas F1, is uh, pondering what he wants to do in, um, you know, whether he wants to stay in Formula One, but it, it would be a bit of a shame to see them go, you know, honestly. I mean, I, I don't think that they've ever really, uh, really taken their existence in, in Formula One to the next level. I mean, they've kind of made the the, the headlines at times for the wrong reasons, uh, you know. From, I mean, Grosjean has uh, definitely provided plenty of talking uh, moments over the years. And um, then again, last year was uh, not all that uh, great for them. Anyways, I just want to stop there quickly for one final break. And then uh, when we come back, we're going to start uh, closing it down. Got a little bit more to talk about uh, 2021 and and uh, some uh, news from Williams and uh, things like that. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Uh, well, uh, welcome back to the show. It's uh, time to start slowly but surely wrapping up uh, this week's uh, show for uh, another week. And I'm just going to stick uh, with the uh, the 2021 rules and regulations that we were talking about just before the uh, the, the last break there. And um, Formula One is uh, in danger of uh, the new cars becoming uh, slower than Formula 2 cars in 21. And this uh, comes from uh, Racing Point's uh, team principal, uh, Otmar Safnauer. And uh, this was an interview he gave to motorsport.com. And uh, he's um, he believes that if the cars are going to go end up as much as six seconds a lap slower, it's not really Formula 1 anymore. And he said, uh, and, he, and he believes that if... Uh, if uh, you're going to slow down F uh, Formula One that much, then you're going to have to slow down Formula Two because uh, Formula One Two, or sorry, Formula Two will become faster than uh, than Formula One. So kind of interesting there, and I mean it, it really is so so much up in the air at the at, at the moment. Of course, we'll never we we it's all speculation at the moment. I mean, none of us are sitting in the design offices at any one of these teams. We're we're not looking at the data. We're we're not looking at what's happening in the um in the in the wind tunnels. So all we can do is uh, sit back and and patiently wait. But I mean, he does make a good point that if you slow down Formula 1 too much, then you risk uh, that uh, cars in lower formulas are going to go start going faster than Formula 1 cars and in my mind uh, Formula One is the pinnacle of uh, motorsport globally, uh, and I, I believe it's a place that the the, the for the, the for the best teams, the best cars, and the best drivers to to compete uh, and and win uh, uh, races and to win uh, championships. Um, so. You know, if you slow it down too much and then, you know, like if uh, it, it comes to pass, like Safnauer is uh, predicting that Formula One or so it becomes slower than the, the lesser formula like Formula Two, in my mind, it's not really Formula One anymore. I mean, I know it's it's, it's got all the glamour and the glitz and all the coverage and all the media uh, and, and all that. But um, I, I think you have to, <coughs> excuse me, still let Formula One be Formula One. And um, as much as I'm a proponent and I agree with things like safety for obvious reasons, I still want to see the cars go as uh, as fast as uh, as safely possible. So I'm, I have mixed feelings about slowing down the cars uh, too much. But uh, sticking with the uh, racing point now, just half an hour talking about uh, the, the potential for the cars uh, being slowed down too much. 
I'm just going to talk now about his driver, one of his drivers, and that is uh, Lance Stroll, who says, quote, a lot of details were behind the struggles he had in uh, qualifying sessions uh, for the early part of uh, the 2019 season. And uh, if you remember, I mean, Lance was uh, regularly knocked out of Q1. He had a a streak of 15 races where he could not get out of the first uh, qualifying session. It started the U.S. Grand Prix in 2018 when he was still a a Williams driver and extended far too long into this uh, past uh, season. So uh, Stroll had to say about the situation, quote, a lot of details. At the beginning of the year, I struggled with my driver fit in the car, so I didn't fit very well, and that took a few races to resolve. It sounds ridiculous, but that's a real thing. On top of that, it's a bit about understanding the mechanical balance, the aero balance, the differential settings, torque settings to get the most out of the car. The weekends go by very quickly that once you get to qualifying, if you're not dialed in with the car, it's so competitive now in the midfield that there really is no room for error. There's just no margin to afford any mistakes with setup and driving. With experience, all that just gets tidied up and the understanding of where to move, how to drive the car and how to set up a car just becomes more clear. And that's what I've seen over the course over the years. I've just narrowed it down to what I know works on my end and how I have to drive the car and how I have to set up the car and look for performance in it, end quote. And I think that's kind of an interesting uh, revelation from from Lance Stroll. And my takeaway from that is uh, that that sounds like a guy that doesn't really 100% understand or know or is maybe 100% comfortable in uh, in, in the car, really knows how to um, get the information out of the car, just the way that the car is handling and performing and what he needs to do in, in different areas uh, to make the improvements. And I, I, I think he's making a legitimate point that the, um, the the margin for error in the midfield is so small that uh, that anything that uh, disadvantages you is really going to uh, you know come back and and, and haunt you. I, I completely agree with uh, that that statement. I mean, the midfield in uh, the, the Formula One is just that tight. I mean, the the battles are just uh, that close. So, uh, but it was just kind of interesting just to hear about uh, him say about all the different things like the differential settings, the uh, the aerodynamics, whatever it might be. To me, that uh, just sounded like um, at least in that uh, short um, that that short quote and read as much as that into it as uh, as as you want but my takeaway from that was that that doesn't seem like a guy who's 100% comfortable or knowledgeable or uh, really knows how to uh, apply the changes of the car to to get it work best for him so yeah, I thought it was an interesting quote from from Lance uh, anyways okay uh, moving on uh, Ferrari they believe that uh, key team personnel should not be a uh, formula 1 boss and uh, this is uh, in response uh, to the stories that have been floating around there for, well, I mean, it's picked up a little bit more speed in the past uh, several weeks, but it's been out there for the past several months, and that's uh, the, the possibility of uh, Mercedes team principal Toto Wolff uh, taking over um, the, the the top job at, at Formula One, uh, which is uh, currently um, uh, run by Chase Carey from Liberty Media, who is the uh, F1 CEO. And I think that's kind of interesting, Um that uh, Ferrari should say that. But again, I think who else has, uh, you know, I, I, who else is qualified to, to do that job? Um, I think that when it comes to somebody who has a very intimate and detailed knowledge of Formula One, like a Total Wolf, could that be applied to, say, the commercial side of it, the media side of it, the rule side of it, and everything that uh, that comes under the, uh, the, the scope of the, uh, the, the CEO? 
That's that's a really good question. I mean, certainly he knows what it uh, takes to build a, a competitive team, and uh, I mean, uh, Mercedes' um, uh, success in Formula One is uh, almost uh, unparalleled. I believe that uh, if they win a double championship uh, this year at Mercedes, that uh, the the W11 would be the the, the first car in history to to help accomplish that uh, feat. So, you know, for Ferrari to say that, I, I guess it really depends on uh, on your point of view. I mean. Uh, I guess uh, if you're the uh, you know somewhere up in the brass in an automotive company that uh, like, like Ferrari or, or Mercedes that has, also has a Formula One team, then uh, of course that's going to be um, I, I think you're going to be uh, a, you know a lot less receptive uh, to that idea than uh, you know if it's uh, somebody coming from the outside or from maybe from a, another Formula One team. But uh, it is I don't know. I, I think it really depends on, I mean, uh, for ICO, Lewis Camilleri um, said, uh, quote, I think that anyone who's really active and an important player in a certain team within the last five years to take on the responsibility F1 would automatically create conflicts of interest, perceived or otherwise. Uh, so personally, I think it would not be a good thing as to who should ultimately run F1. So, you know, that that is a fair comment, I think, from uh, Camilleri. Uh, you know, that, I mean, Total Wolf going from running uh, Mercedes to uh, running Formula One. I mean, I, I can see that the, the, the potential or the, the suspicion of uh, things uh, like that. Uh, I mean, politics is a big part of Formula One, like it or not. So, I, I mean, I could see uh, a bit of suspicion there and that, uh, that some teams might not be uh, 100%... Uh, happy with that. Anyways, uh, talking about Williams now, they believe that, uh, quote, they had to hit rock bottom before they could uh, rise up again, and that's from uh, Williams team principal uh, Claire Williams, and she's just uh, referring to the uh, the real hole they found themselves in in 2019. I guess they're, they're at the point now that, you know, there's no way uh, to go but up from uh, where where they were last year, but she, she does insist that uh, it's something that uh, cannot happen again. I mean, the only point that they got in 2019 came of uh, care of uh, Robert Kubica at uh, the German Grand Prix when he got uh, 10th uh, points, uh, sorry, 10th place, but that was only uh, due to the fact that after the race, uh, the, uh, the both Alfa Romeos uh, were hit uh, with uh, time penalties at, uh, at the end of the race, so they, uh, was able to, they were able to snag one point, and that was uh, probably... You know, you know. I think I think uh, it's fair to say that was their only shot to you know, to get a point uh, that year, unless uh, there was uh, another equally wet and bizarre race as uh, Hockenheim. I mean, that uh, really was uh, a pretty unique and uh, one-off kind of ra- uh, race. I mean, I know that we have uh, wet races. I mean, you can expect to see one or two usually every year, but uh, that was completely crazy <laughs> compared to, I think, any other Grand Prix, wet or dry, that we've seen in a very, very long time. Anyways, uh, just a, a couple of last things here uh, that uh, that I thought were kind of interesting, and uh, one of those was, uh, you know, of course, all our thoughts and prayers are with uh, everybody uh, in Australia that have been um, the victims and suffering with the, the horrible, uh, you know, uh, situation they've had with the fires down there. I mean, it's uh, absolutely dreadful what's uh, going on there, but uh, Danny Ricardo has uh, pledged, uh, along with a lot of uh, other um, high-profile Australian um, uh, athletes, uh, to get involved uh, by uh, making way, uh, you know, making um, uh, financial support and, and and whatever he can do to to help in that uh, 
in that regard. And then also uh, Fernando Alonso was currently uh, racing in the Dakar Rally. Uh, he had a bit of a setback uh, earlier this week when he uh, hit a rock in the second stage of the race and uh, was forced to stop uh, for a couple of hours uh, while they had to wait uh, for um, a group of mechanics to, to come and help him and his uh, co-driver Mark Coma out. And uh, so, I mean, there's there still several thousand kilometers to go before they're all done, but uh, still, uh, that's, uh, you know, to lose two hours like that is just, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that's a huge deficit, even for a guy like Fernando Alonso to uh, to dig out of. But uh, he did say on his Instagram account, uh, quote, good day in terms of pace, third in the first splits, and in terms of navigation, that we were very comfortable. Bad term, or bad day in terms of result, as we lost more than two hours repairing a hit in the front axle. So there you go. A little bit uh, from uh, Fernando Alonso, guy who does not like to sit still. And of course, it makes you wonder if uh, he uh, might be able to to find a way back into Formula One for 2021, considering some of the uh, the vacancies that uh, might open up. And I guess uh, the big question is, has Fernando left himself a welcome in Formula One or did he burn too many bridges uh, before he left? Anyways, there you have it. That's all the news in Formula One that we have for this week. Thank you so very much uh, for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, easiest way is uh, via email at scooteriaf1pod at gmail.com or on Twitter at scooteriafpod. Sorry, at scooteriaf1pod. I'm getting my handles all big stuff here but it's all good and anyways if you want to do us a solid and uh, help uh, help us out here the easiest and quickest way only requires a minute or two of your time is to go to apple Podcasts or wherever you download and listen to podcasts from and leave a five-star rating and review it certainly does help us immeasurably and helps the the, the podcast uh, become more relevant and and grow and ultimately that's what it's all about is to connect uh, with other formula one fans all around the, the world and that's uh, part of the reason why we do the show anyways again thank you very much for uh, for listening enjoy the week and i'll talk to you again very very soon ciao thanks for listening to the skidaria f1 podcast if you want to get the show notes for this episode then head over to skidaria f1 pod.com want to get in touch with us then email us at skidaria f1 pod at gmail.com